And I do want to, I want to read through a scripture with you, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. There's a bunch of ways to get involved in today, but I want to read one verse, and, and, and it actually, believe it or not, does tie into our series, this whole thing, this is the whole reason we did Freedom Sunday on this day. There's hundreds of other churches right now doing a Freedom Sunday, dedicating their Sunday to this purpose and to this end of ending slavery, both right here in our city. I don't know if that, I don't know if that surprises you, but you walk past people on a regular basis who are in some way affected or involved in the exploitation of young women at 12 and 13 and 14 years old. It, it seems so far, but it is not. It is so, so close. And part of the reason we don't deal with it is because it gets a little messy. It is a little bit hard. It does cause us to rearrange our schedule, to rearrange our pocketbook, to rearrange some things in our life, some priorities that we might have. And it is a challenge sometimes sometimes to do that. And I know there's issues everywhere. And, I, and some of us may be thinking that, well, yeah, but I know, but this is a problem too. And what I usually find is that when we begin to do that, what we're actually saying is, I just can't help with anything because there's too many problems to help with. If there's something pricked your heart, if something grabbed a hold of you, do something today. Don't wait. If you got to adjust it down the line, okay, adjust it down the line. But don't wait till down the line to figure out if you're ever actually going to do anything. And so Luke chapter 10 is actually the story of the Good Samaritan. And again, if you're, if you're new with us, my name is Brandon. It's good to be here. I'm glad you're here. It is a bit of a different Sunday, but I'm really glad you were here to be a part of it because our vision as a church is to see Jesus on every street and in every heart. Our vision, our desire is not just that you come here and become a great person, but that what happens when you come here and what happens when you show up at a dinner party and what happens in these places and spaces is that you actually become someone who people see Jesus in wherever you are, wherever you go, whenever you go there. Amen. Amen. And so I want to just encourage you, uh, we are meant to be light in the dark, and where it is the darkest, we should go. Um, I'm just, I'm a little over the safe, comfortable Christianity, because the truth is that the Holy Spirit is my comforter, and the problem with that statement is the only reason I would ever need a comforter is if I'm at some point going to be uncomfortable. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to a bunch of people he was about to send into the world to reach the people for the gospel, who we also knew most of them, all of them but one, was going to be in some way martyred for their faith and put in prison. And so he said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who will be your comforter. And we, we think that's nice. It's cute. It's cuddly. It's huggy, right? But it's not. It's actually, hey, you're going to face some of the most difficult things you've ever faced in your life. But in the midst of it, in the midst of your most uncomfortable moments, I have sent you the Holy Spirit so that you will be comforted and strengthened so that you can continue to do what I've called you to do. Amen? And so Luke chapter 10, and we're just going to do this very quickly because I didn't want to just kind of go, hey, here's some social justice thing. I don't want to just kind of point your eyes towards this. I want you to understand that the depth that God goes to explain to us the importance of us taking on the life of another. The, in fact, if you, were just, if you were just to read the New Testament and just to do the one another's, if you were just to do the one another's in Scripture, your life would completely and radically change, and so would the lives around you. Love one another. Forgive one another. Right? These one another statements. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read it really quickly, and then I'm going to close. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 10 says, Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? So Jesus replied with a question. I love when Jesus replies with a question. Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind. And I love that part of the verse. 
I don't always do that part of the verse, but I love that part of the verse. I've never heard anyone who's a believer disregard that part of the verse and say, well, you shouldn't love God. You should only love him with half of yourself. Right? Like, we're good with that part of the verse. You just wish sometimes God would shut off a verse a little earlier. Because the next part of the verse, he says what? And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some of us begin to think, well, that means we should love ourselves so we can love our neighbor. No, I've actually found the more I love my neighbor, the more I realize I actually can love myself too. How many of you know someone who loves themselves really, really well? And they are not good at loving other people. Loving yourself is not a sign that you love other people well. Loving others is a sign that somehow, someway, you've unlocked the fact that God loves you so much and you're going to love people. And in that, you've begun to discover a fulfillment and a value you never knew existed. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then, I love this, and don't think you ain't this person, because I know you are, because I am, and I feel like we're all the same. Okay, he said, you've answered correctly, Jesus. No, sorry. Yeah, 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 sorry. You've answered correctly. I'm hyper. I'm excited. He told him, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself. Did you know one of the greatest skills we as humans have is the skill of self-deception? The ability to deceive ourselves or justify ourselves even when other people we would condemn for the very same thing that we are doing. Husbands, wives, you know what I'm talking about. I can't believe you would yell at me. I know I'm yelling, but I can't believe you would yell at me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me like that. My goodness. If you've never had that, then you, you need to go deeper in marriage. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, just you. We'll do counseling later. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? And listen to the story because, honestly, you, you listen to Jesus' reply and you begin to think Jesus misunderstood the question. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. How many of you would say that probably describes some of the people we're actually talking about today, being left in a place where they're alive but not quite? Leaving him half dead. A priest happened to come down the road when he saw him, and he passed on the other side. In the same way, the Levite, who was the leader of worship, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive and oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. I feel like the guy went a little overboard, but man, what an incredible dude. Which of these do you, Jesus says, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I actually think Jesus flipped the question because the question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, who was the neighbor? Meaning a neighbor in God's view is one who would take care of someone else. The neighbor, the idea that I am a person who would take care of someone else is important. Which of these is the neighbor? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now remember, the context of this discussion is who is my neighbor? Jesus' response is not an address. It's not a street you live on. It is not the clothes you wear. It is not the job you have. He doesn't actually give. I think what's really happening is this person wants to know 
Where is this person that I need to love? Because I'm going to go find him and only love him or her. I'm only going to do what is required of me. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell a story of a Samaritan who is not a guy that people love in this group of people Jesus is talking to, look down upon, and not the priest. The priest doesn't help him out. The Levite doesn't help, help him out, meaning your title will not cause you to do something more than what you already do. And here is a Samaritan who people don't think highly of, and Jesus uses a Samaritan to tell him who the neighbor is. Now, how does he define a neighbor? Who's the neighbor? The one who's on the ground that you walk past, that's the person you should love as yourself. I think we love to define the word neighbor as anyone who lives in a certain proximity to us. Anyone that I have seen on multiple occasions. But in fact, what you find is that the way Jesus would define the word neighbor is to define it simply as this. Anyone other than you. Don't you love him? I mean, it's awesome. But it means anybody I walk past Sunday afternoon after church after hearing this message is my neighbor. And not just the neighbors who are cleaned up and doing okay and the guys who can walk past and go, how are you doing? Good, awesome. We just keep on your journey. No, the dude who's sitting on the floor, beat up, left half dead, that is also my neighbor. See, we have this amazing ability to be frustrated about the condition of our neighborhood without ever connecting it to the condition of our neighbors. We have this amazing ability to, 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 to condemn or be frustrated or be angry about the neighborhood in which we live or the neighborhood in which we're driving through without understanding that it is all a result of the condition of our neighbors. And who are we called to love? Our neighbors. And who are our neighbors? Anyone other than you. Now remember, we started this series in Genesis 1. The very first thing God said is that I'm going to create him in my image. What is image? Image was not just a cool word to say you look like me. Image was to say you represent me. It was a word used of royalty. It was a word used to describe a king. And so a pharaoh would be one who was created in the image of a god, and he would represent God on the earth. And so what he said goes. And that's why this message of the gospel is so incredible, because it was not reserved for one person who would sit at the top on the, uh, on the throne and begin to tell people things. It was actually given to all people. We were all created in the image of God. And then the very next sentence he says, to rule. Now the word rule, if you look in the message translation, is translated one word. And many of you have been here for the series, so maybe you can help me out. It is translated to be responsible. To rule is not to oh, lord yourself over somebody, but to be responsible for somebody. If I am a king, I'm responsible for how this kingdom looks. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, what does he begin to do? He says, you're created in my image. I breathe the breath of life into you. Now I need you to tend and work this garden. The very first thing God asked Adam to do was not rest and enjoy creation, but to cultivate it and be responsible for it. We do not only live in this city. We are also responsible for this city. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in front of the religious leaders of the day. And he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight 
to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him because you don't read that part unless you know something. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus came that people might be set free. And there is a freedom that is found in Christ that cannot be found any other way. It is a freedom that unlocks our spirit, unlocks our soul, because we begin to realize that we have a value that goes beyond anything we could obtain or or create, anything that we could do on this earth. There is a value inherently in us, and that actually is what allows us to add value to the earth in a way God created us to. We are created to cultivate what God has given and what God has created. That is what is on our heart, what is what is on our life. It is why we have this deep desire in us, even when we're in a successful job, even when we make the money, even when we have the car, even when we have the friends, there's something in us that always is driving us a little bit deeper, a little bit further, a little bit higher. What is it? It is the, it is the inherent image of God to cultivate what has been created, to be responsible for what is on this earth, to be people who pray and bring heaven to earth. And so let us be people who not only do what we're talking about today, but also people who live every day understanding that if we want our neighborhoods to be better, we must also take care of the neighbors who live there. The condition of our neighborhoods is absolutely a representation of the condition of our neighbors. And the only way we can solve that is to take care of those who are neighbors. And how do we define neighbors? Anyone other than myself. Jesus showed up when we were left for dead, when we were in our worst moments. Jesus showed up, died, rose again, that we might live in the image of him who had created us. That is what Jesus came for, to restore to you the image God first called you into, to be people who cultivate what has been created. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. God, I thank you that you are in this.